Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. Make sure to give us all the stars, guys, and share with your friends. So we're going to talk about how to pick a a church. church. Yes. Um, And that's an important one. Actually, it's a very kind of near and dear to us, just because it can be frustrating as pastors, you know, when you're you have people who say they love the church, but uh, they don't yeah. know if they should come. And you're like, okay. And as pastors, you also can then get accused of trying to sell your church, which I hate. And sure. I mean, I hate selling a church. You know, people tell me, well, why should I come to your church? I'm like. I felt like I was selling a guy the other day. He it was a guy who found us actually by listening to this podcast. And he was asking about, I, I met with him for dinner and he wanted to know about our church. And I felt like I was a salesman. Yeah. But I was I, <laughs> just it, trying to lay out the yeah, vision. It, it's just awkward. Yeah. But anyhow, it's an important topic because um, people choose churches all the time um, for Listen. good reasons, for bad reasons, and some of times for really, really bad reasons. What are some of those bad? Yeah. Well, tradition and upbringing. Now, that, this, it, it, in and of itself, doesn't have to be bad. But if if you're just looking for a church because that's what you know, probably you know that's not the best approach because it's not necessarily biblical. No. But that was the number one challenge for me when I first came here. So in the Midwest, it seemed that tradition runs deep, and and so people would come and visit our evening service and say they loved it. And they would. We even had people who came for several years only to evening service. They hated their their church, but that's where they were raised, and they just didn't feel like they could leave. I'm like, my goodness. Um, in California, you didn't have that kind of thing. People could discard that church like laundry. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another common one is it's you know it's where their friends goes. Right. Th- this is common typically with younger people. I mean, you get one twenty year old, and all of a sudden. 20 more show up because uh, they tend to travel in packs. But, uh, you know, you even see it with, you know, unfortunately you'll even see it when there's a mass exodus from a church, sometimes a church split, um, and they need to now look for a new church. Well, they, they just go where all their friends are, the people that they've known, which I understand that, but still that doesn't necessarily make it the right way to, or right reason to go right. to a church. What would be it another? Uh, well, the two big ones are music and programs. Uh, people are coming, and and if they like that style of music, whatever style it is, uh, that's what they're going for. Or the programs. What what does it have for my kids? What does it have for my teens? Or I'm an older person. Do you have a senior ministry? Um, yeah, you also got cult of personality. Uh, they like the teacher, the speaker. Uh, you know, you'll hear the comment. Well, he's funny. He makes me laugh. Yep. Um, you know, and then tightly connected to that, of course, is maybe they like the culture, the atmosphere of the church, which will, again, typically be sent by, set by the lead guy yeah, and his personality and those kinds of things. Well, yeah, and I'm on Facebook, I'm constantly getting these ads that 
are targeted toward me um, on how to grow your church through an effective greeter ministry. You know, it's like, if I'm going to grow my church through my greeter ministry, I've failed. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'm opposed. I think what we're doing at our church is excellent on the greeting side, but that's not how I want to grow my church. Um, Yeah, at least least don't make a roadblock. Right. Right. Having said that, people (laughs) will say, well, um, I like this church, so people are friendly, or it's close to their home. Um, And then the ever-famous but much maligned in my mind because it's wrong, God told them or laid it on their hearts. So those are just some of several ways that people make their decision. Yeah. So there are all kinds of reasons, and we, we hear many. Um, but we want to talk about some biblical reasons, and frankly, to us, they are the only reasons that matter. Uh, if you're if you're wanting to find, you know, yourself being part of a church that's pleasing to God, and also a, a part of a church that's going to actually help you grow, uh, they got to be biblical reasons. Um, you know, many people will find themselves being part of a church where, if they're honest, they haven't grown in years. Uh, they've they've been stagnant. What shocks me is the number of people who will admit that they haven't grown, and yep. they're still there. I'm yep. like, oh my goodness, or want counsel on what church they should be looking for, and then yet when they get it, ignore it <laughs> <laughs> because their friends go there. Yeah, or that's where or they grew up. Or it's not like the church they want yeah. to leave, yeah. which is interesting as well. Um, you know, perhaps they grew a lot in the beginning at that particular church, but now find themselves drifting. Uh, we would say there's a reason for that. Right uh, Now, it may be due to the fact that the person is being unfaithful or has grown lazy in their walk. I don't want to be uncharitable to all churches. Um, but it might also be due to the fact that they're not in a biblically healthy church, which is very common. Uh, and so in light of that, we want to talk about what a person should be looking for in a church. Um, now, these are not our thoughts. Um, yeah, rather, yeah, yeah the, these are biblically derived principles and standards. And so, of course, we're just interested in what the Bible says. Uh, if it were up to us in our own preferences, our ideal churches would probably look very different. In fact, I mean, yours would be very different than mine. <laughs> and mine would be very different than yours. Mine would be right, though. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, but but we are controlled by the scriptures. Um, and so, as a result, our churches. Our church is what it is. Uh, very little of it has to do with preference, but everything to do with what Christ has mandated for his church. Uh, now, there is a lot of freedom when it comes to certain things within the church, but there's also some very important non-negotiables. And those non-negotiables must be what drive and control those various freedoms, uh, such as you know worship style, things like that. So we just want to give some thoughts on what a healthy church should be and what a church should be, act- or a person should be actually looking for um, in a church. Now, these are adapted from Nine Marks um, Ministry, which is Mark Dever's ministry, wrote a book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Um, and then also some commentary from Tim Challies. We're just going to give a brief explanation of that mark based on what Tim Challies says, which he has an excellent blog that, that I would we would recommend following. I remember when he first started that blog. Do you? Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm that old. I remember too. Really? Yeah. It was back in the, like, 08, 07, 08-ish era. That was earlier. I didn't know. I I just remember. Anyhow, so we're going to give the nine marks, and then also we're going to quote some from Tim. Yeah, and then give our thoughts. And then we'll enlarge. Sure. Like, 
we always do. So the first one is uh, expositional preaching, which is near and dear to both of our hearts. So Charlie says, uh, expositional preaching, otherwise known as expository preaching, is the investigation of a particular passage of Scripture, whereby the pastor carefully explains the meaning of a passage and then applies it to the members, applies it to the members of the congregation. The point of a sermon, then, takes the point of a particular passage. This is in opposition to the topical preaching that show showcased in the majority of evangelical churches where Bible passages are woven together to support a pre-existing point. Yeah. Now, not all exegetical or expositional preaching is the same, uh, and that's very important to understand. Yeah. Um, there, there's various approaches to expositional preaching or what can commonly be called called expositional preaching. Um, but true expositional preaching is not merely Bible-based preaching. Uh, that's a common thing that you'll see on church websites where Bible-based or whatever. Um, so it's not using the Bible as a launch point to talk about whatever topic the preacher wants to talk about or just quoting Bible verses or something. Um, further, some forms of expositional preaching might go passage by passage through a book, um, but it tends to be simply a high flyover of the passages. That's actually, I'd, I'd say, the most common style nowadays because was it Barna that did the research that found out that people wanted expositional preaching? And so magically all these churches doing topical mm. started claiming we're expositional, and so they yeah. started going through books, but they're still just touching so lightly. Yeah. Like getting through Romans in 16 weeks. Yeah. Like you take a chapter you a week or something. Well, you can, but... yeah. But don't, it's a, don't tell me that you taught Romans. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so so they're giving a basic sense of the passage, but but they're quick to run to application. Right. And, and why? Well, because the application is their goal. Right, right. That's what they're trying to do. Um, other kinds tend to be more line by line or sometimes word by word and are more focused on providing a full explanation of the text. Um, and the goal with that kind of expositional preaching is just to leave very little unturned. Right. Um, so the, these approaches still have application, uh, but the goal is to give first a solid understanding of the passage, not merely application. Um, all true application, as we've said, must be based on true understanding. Um, and so you got to give the understanding first. Um, this approach doesn't shy away from some of the more difficult sayings of Scripture. I mean, by definition, they can't if you're walking right. word by word. Well, yeah, if you're going to be that close to the text— there's no way you can avoid it. Whereas the light flyover kind, you can still avoid all those yeah. awkward passages because you'll yeah. just skip them. And and also one of my pet peeves is someone who is is what I would call a more faithful expositor. They will go line by line, word by word. Um, they then get to the difficult sayings, but then they apologize for them hmm. or qualify or caveat 16 ways of, you know, this is going to be hard. Just let it hang there. Let it be what it is. Um so, so it can be comfortable, uncomfortable at times for the people. Um, and, and the focus of this preaching is, is to match the tone and the intent of the author. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so, so, for instance, if the purpose of the passage is to give comfort, then that should be the goal of the preacher. Um, but if the purpose of the passage is to give a warning or uh, maybe a rebuke, then that's how the preacher ought to preach the passage, preach it as a rebuke and don't apologize for it. Um, it's not popular, but... We would say it is faithful. 
Uh, much of Paul's writings, for example, are written as correctives. And so there's just going to be a lot of rebuking that's going to be happening if you're working through one of his letters. There is no way. Yeah, there is no way if you're going to do true expositional preaching that you're not irritating somebody in the congregation every Sunday or making them uncomfortable or hurting them or discouraging in some ways because yeah. the New Testament is filled with difficult passages. Um, yeah. And, and that goes to the next point, which is you don't want to confuse what is popularly known as gospel-centered preaching with faithful expositional preaching, though they'll try oftentimes to claim they're one and the same. Uh, really, what uh, much of what you would call gospel-centered preaching tends to make a very quick application uh, to the gospel. So, they'll deal with the text to whatever degree they do, but they move right away then to the gospel. Um, now, there's nothing wrong or evil about that. The gospel is good, uh, but it's not necessarily being faithful to the text. Yeah, And and that is where the rub is. Um, the goal of true exposition is for the people to walk away with a solid understanding of the text that's at hand. So, if the passage is a strong rebuke. Um, if the text is one that's challenging them to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith, in other words, um, then it's not wrong to remind the people of their forgiveness in Christ. But you can, but it can also take the teeth of the rebuke of Paul or or James away, uh, and that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to somehow soften what the actual Holy Spirit gave in in that writing. Um, as a result, this is why people do not necessarily grow as they ought to under what we, again, would call gospel-centered preaching, because it's so heavy on grace and light on the on God's mandate for true growth and change. Uh, further, people under gospel-centered preaching tend to view expositional preaching as being legalistic. We get that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not used to being challenged to actually obey. That's the that's rub. That's it, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there is something good when people are left to feel uncomfortable at times. We would argue uh, they should at times go, leave. for good reason, they should leave that 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 service bothered. Because without us knowing it in our preaching, we literally have uncovered their secret sin. And now they're left to wrestle with that. And the yeah. last thing you need to do is then tell them everything's okay because um, Jesus paid it all. Um, when you look at Paul or, or Jesus, the goal was often to leave the people, in fact, hanging and force them to wrestle with their words. And there should be that true wrestling with the text as the people now understand what it means. Right. And so this is where the application comes in. They should now be examining their own life in light of what was taught. As a result, we would say that true expositional preaching tends to be more implicational rather than applicational mean. We're giving the implications. If this is true, then these are the implications that For your affect life. you. Yeah, yeah, you need to think about this. Um, as the people then are taught the full meaning of the text, there are now implications. Applications always tend to be very generic. Um, as a result, they're never really challenged to consider their life before the text. In fact, a, a lot of times, the application is smoothing the feathers down again. Um, so we would say pick a church that leans toward a deeper exposition. You'll never go wrong with that. Uh, you should not merely know the pastor's conclusion of what the text means, but you should know why that's his um, conclusion. Yeah. So we're we're not saying that you you have to know and weigh out every possible interpretation of a passage. That's not 
what we're saying here. And frankly, if that's what a pastor is doing in front of you, it's probably not going to be super helpful. Um, but you should at least know why the pastor has landed on his particular interpretation. Um, you know, force him to show you in his preaching why he believes the passage to be saying what he thinks it is saying. Um, and that's actually important, though, on some key passages where there's strong differences of opinion, yeah, like for sure. Colossians, where it looks like maybe baptism is the same thing as Old Testament circumcision. You, you know, if depending on your people that you're preaching to, you, you're going to have to acknowledge, look, there's a controversy over this, and yeah. here's the views. Uh, but you don't have to do that on every single passage. Right, right. Um, so, so right application, or, or in other words, worship, a life of worship, uh, flows from a right interpretation. Um, if a pastor is giving a high flyover and then makes quick application to the gospel, you're not going to rightly know everything that God has told you through his word. Um, and, and the result then is just a, a vague Christian walk that is more or less the result of a church's culture or, and this is the common one, of, of living vicariously through the words of a preacher. Um, and, and it's more that than what God has actually given you through his word. I know of one pastor who, you know, he was teaching on the, the role of the husband out of Ephesians 5, and he talked about the command, love your wives. And, and and how as Christ loved the church, et cetera, et cetera. So he dealt with the passage. And then at the end, he says um, that this is what you ought to do, but you won't do it, but Jesus did it for you. And I'm like, you just completely removed. Nowhere in that passage yeah. does Paul say, and by the way, I just commanded you to do these things, but don't worry, Jesus did it for you, so you don't have to worry. But it's like, you, right, you, right, you right. got that that's gospel-centered preaching. That, that so somehow says, look, good thing Jesus did it all. And it's like, I appreciate what he was trying to do, but it's like, that's not what the text said. And that's not even what Jesus is saying. Deal with the commands and call the men to rise up and be those things. And if they're, if they're made to feel un uncomfortable, you and I would say, good, they need to feel uncomfortable until they start learning how to love their wives instead of hiding behind, well, I should love you, honey, but good thing Jesus did it for me. Right. Yeah. Anyhow. No, that's that's good. Um, Can I just say something really fast? Yes, sir. To, the, to, to your last, I think it was the last point you were saying about how people live through the, the, they live through the church's culture or living vicariously through the words of a preacher. I remember one, when I first started coming to Missy, it was Temple at the time. We were doing a Bible study and Matt was, he said this multiple times and it really hit me hard, where it's like, you constantly say, like, don't, I don't want to hear you say, Pastor Matt said this. Like, look at your word. I'm going to teach you what it says. You're literally going to live what the word says. And it was, but it's the mind that that mindset. I never heard it that way. That was that was, that was a great takeaway. Where I was like, it really kind of ingrained in me. I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to own this. He's going to teach me, but that's yeah. I'm going to know it. it. It's so vital. Yeah, to, um, to inform then how you live. And yeah, exactly. Because we're going to do an episode here at some point on the difference between hear hearers and doers. Yeah. And and what I mean here by living vicariously through the words of a preacher, sometimes when you have a, a, a very capable and good expositor, um, you, you make this assumption that you're somehow growing in the faith because you're learning a lot of good truth. 
you know, a lot of good yeah. things. And y- you then stop at that though. You don't then examine your life in light of that and then change your behavior, change some things in light of the truth of scripture. And so, yeah. because you go to a church where there's good teaching and maybe even the people around you are mature, mm-hmm. you make that, you know, really bad assumption that somehow that means you too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. in, in Colossians 1, 9 through 10, uh, there's a good passage. This is actually Paul's prayer. And Lena, would you want to read that those verses yeah is it nine and nine through ten or all the way down to twelve um you could just read through twelve yeah for this reason also since the day we heard of it we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah, so so there's a lot there. I'm not gonna... Is that your, is this your favorite prayer, Paul's? Yeah. Okay, I it couldn't is. remember if it was this one or the one in Philipp- Philipp- Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> Philippines. Yeah. What's yeah, up, this Philippines? Is, this is my favorite. Um, and, and there's a lot here that I'm not going to unfold, but um, the main point is, is this is Paul's prayer, and this is what he prays before he's now about to give them the rest of the book of Colossians. And he says uh, that he's not ceased to pray for you and ask what, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will um, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So so his prayer for these Colossian believers is that they're filled with knowledge. That's right. what he prays. Um, and not just knowledge, but knowledge that's then controlled by all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, knowledge is insufficient. You now have to have knowledge being controlled by something. And that's where the application comes right. in. You need to be a spiritually wise person to now take the things that are being taught and then be able to apply those in your life. And again, that's never going to happen through vague gospel-centered preaching because uh, now you don't have the fuel to do that. You right. need the deep exposition of the word. Uh, and so it's through that deep exposition week after week through which you're going to be able to do that. So we would say on this first point, refuse to settle for shallow expositional preaching. Uh, look for a church or a pastor who is resolved to systematically work through books of the Bible but at a substantial level. Um, don't just because they say they do expositional preaching on the website, um, don't just swallow that wholesale and just assume that they're doing it well. Um, the depth of preaching will have direct correlation to the depth of your walk and therefore Christian maturity. And that's one thing right now is so much easier is that you can go to people's website, everyone has one, and you can almost always hear their sermons. And so you can while you're looking for a church, you can already have a good sense of what you're, what you can expect. Yeah, just by mm-hmm. downloading the sermons. And anytime somebody says, "Hey, have you heard of this church?" I go to their site. I immediately begin to look at the sermons, and I already know there's a problem when you click on play and it says 16 minutes, and you're like, <laughs> "Okay, whatever, whatever the guy's doing, I haven't even finished my introduction at 16 minutes." You know? Yeah. Um, so now that was the longest one. Yeah. So they should understand. Of the nine, that was our longest because we do think that's that's going to drive all of this other stuff. So the second uh, one is biblical theology. What's Chelly say on that? So Chelly says this emphasizes not only how we are taught, but also what we are taught. 
In a sense, this should follow naturally from expository preaching because the careful exposition of a passage should lead to sound theology. Um, the majority of poor theology arises from a lack of careful biblical exposition. Where there is poor exposition, we should expect to eventually find poor theology. Okay, so that's very true, but it's also very rare again today. Um, most churches would not be able to tell you what their theology is. In fact, most pastors, sadly, can't tell you what their theology is. Um, in fact, many pastors have discarded with the, the necessity of knowing theology through a formal training. Um, as a result, you have churches that are weak. They're controlled by little more than pragmatics. It works, brings the people in, that's fine. So all churches do a lot of things, but very few are able to give a biblical defense as to why, or it's the vaguest. Right, right. You know, hey, we're, we're just trying to be a welcoming people because Jesus welcomes sinners. It's like, I don't know what that means. You know, <laughs> um, a robust theology, rather. It, it ought to control every aspect of what a church does or does not do. And we'll get into that when we do the hearers and doers again of everything we do should be shaped by the scripture. Yeah. Uh, and then the next one is uh, a biblical understanding of good news. This is the third mark. All right. So Charlie says there needs to be a proper understanding and necessary emphasis on the full gospel where many contemporary churches teach that Jesus wants to meet our felt needs or give us a healthier self-image, that's not the gospel. The gospel message is that we're sinners who have rebelled against our Creator, but Jesus took the curse that was rightfully ours, and all that remains is for us to have faith in Him, so God may credit Christ's righteousness to our account. When we de-emphasize sin and damnation to make the presentation more friendly and less offensive, we cease declaring the full gospel. Yeah, and that last part's the key yeah. point. So if, if you make the gospel man-centered, you end up messing up what's actually good about the good news. Um, you know, the, the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren, that, that's not the gospel, or even in your own life. Um, nor is it God has a wonderful plan for you. Um, a gospel-centered church will speak much of sin, uh, for it's what controls, as we know, this entire age that we live in. Um, it, it's not a light topic. Um, of sin, Sin's not a light topic, nor is it something that should be joked about. Uh, sin covers everything in this age. Yeah. Um, but you must also then point them to the utter necessity of finding life and the forgiveness in Christ alone. Um, you know, not science, not medication, not morals, but ultimately in the provision found in Jesus Christ. And again, you can't effectively do that if you're not first laying out the problem, which is sin. Um, this is best done, we would argue, expositionally in an expositionally driven church that weaves the fullness of who God is and what God has done on our behalf into the sermon, um, simply because the text is actually dealt with. Yeah, this is a rocket science. I yeah. mean, how are you going to bring all of that truth to bear unless you're systematically going through an entire book and and teaching these people. And and we also would tell the person, how can you expect to gain this if you're not parking your rear end in that church's seat week in and week out? If you're wandering around and missing every third week, um, that's a separate issue though. That's how to be a good church member. Yeah. And you know, we'd say that the more that you're doing that, the more you're inevitably gonna have to talk about sin, which is the right the bad news. 
But then that's what makes the good news much richer, much more profound, something right. that you can rejoice right. in greater. Um, you know, a non-Christian should not walk away from a sound church happy about himself. That's not the goal. If that's the goal, that's a sad goal, but in the end, an unbiblical goal. And a Christian may or may not walk away from any given Sunday happy with himself, but he should walk away with knowing where he must flee, yeah. which is to the cross. What's the next one? Uh, well, the fourth mark then of a healthy church is biblical understanding of conversion. Uh, so Charlie says, we have a biblical understanding of the gospel. We must then also have a proper understanding of conversion. Conversion is a new birth from death to life. It's a work of God. It's not merely a change of attitude or a change of affection, but it's actually a change of nature. Conversion does not need to be exciting, emotional experience, but it does need to produce fruit to be judged in to to be judged a true conversion. So, uh, did you want to talk about that one? Uh, go ahead. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there okay. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I like what David Platt says. He says, the reason that so many are leaving the church today is because we've been concerned about mem more concerned about membership than discipleship. Um, you know, the, the membership roles are filled up with unconverted people who've been little more than attenders of a church for their entire life. You know, they're, they're physically present, but that's about it. Um, but frankly, going to a church and calling yourself a Christian means very little. Yep. Um, unfortunately, many churches are filled with these kinds of people, um, which is why more churches, in fact, close their doors every year than there are churches that are being planted. In fact, we would argue that a truly converted person will bear fruit. Yeah. Um, it, it, they can't help it. Uh, this is abundantly clear, first of all, from the scriptures. What a person believes, says, or says they believe has little bearing on whether or not they've been truly converted. Uh, a fruitful life always flows from a faithful confession. A truly converted person should be able to clearly tell us the gospel. That's one of the things I enjoyed with you um, when we would sit in with mem in membership um, interviews, because I never did this. Um, I always just read their gospel from the application, but you, you made it your habit to always just say, why don't you just tell me what the gospel is? And I'm, I, I stole that from you because I'm like, I like that. I like it where you put them on the spot. You just want to hear. And it's funny how they ham and haw, but they eventually are able to share it with them, but they're not, but you can see how they're not used to just having that part of the vocabulary and part of their conversation. But uh, uh, anyone who's been truly saved knows the gospel because that's the means by which they were saved. Um, they should be able to clearly assent to the truth of the gospel without any hesitation um, as being entirely true. They're not embarrassed by it. Right, right. And they should be uh, evidently uh, having a love of the uh, for that gospel, not only in word, but also in their deeds. So, First John says in chapter 318, little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. So one of the marks, he, there he's showing what the marks of a true believer is, and, and you, you can see it. You should never, I, I actually ask people this all the time when they're talking about their family member or friend, I'm like, well, are they a believer? And they kind of give you that, well, uh, I'm like, you have a gun to your head. <laughs> yeah. And you have to, you have to decide. And, and, only then will they say, well, probably not. And it's like, well, then that's her problem. Um, 
nothing else matters. Their problem ultimately is that they're not in Christ, and but you're trying to get them to act like a Christian. Yeah. A, a Christian can only act like a Christian because they're a Christian. They've been converted. So, so there's cannot be merely a confession. There has to be a confession that naturally results in the transformed life. Um, a second thing, and that would be that the converted life is not vague. It's not with generic Christian words. It's to be a life that's characterized by certain deeds, uh, deeds uh, such as in deed and in truth. It's motivated by truth. Uh, in other words, the converted life must look a certain way. It's defined by the truth of Scripture, and as a result, a converted life can be identified by certain objective realities. You don't get to just say, I'm a Christian. Your life must show evidence. Uh, that's the mark of a true conversion. So if the church doesn't require it or it's vague about it, that's not a good church. Um, it should be what defines the people and certainly the leadership in the church. Uh, let me give the next one, then let you kind of build on it. Um, there's a biblical understanding of evangelism. Uh, what's Charlie say on that one? Yeah, he says, uh, the way we evangelize speaks volumes about how we understand conversion and further what we understand about the good news. If we believe that people are essentially good and are seeking Jesus, we evangelize using half-truths and tend to elicit false conversions. When we present a watered-down gospel, we end up with a watered-down church. We need to be faithful to present the full gospel, the good news with the bad, and leave the results to God. So once you you make the gospel something um, that's a package that you have to sell um, or tell um, them think that things are um, that things get messed up for a lot of people. You know, we're all messed up people or whatever. Um, uh, evangelism is best done as an outflow of a life committed to Christ. So you're saying, instead of trying to package the gospel that you can then sell, you're saying evangelism is actually something much bigger than that. Yeah, it's just the result of who you now are okay. in Christ. Which then goes back to the conversion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so as changes occur in your life, then, then comments are made to you, and you know you must be ready to give an answer. Um, this is a point Peter makes in his letter, uh, if you know Peter. Um, you know, evangelism should make it clear that you're not merely becoming a friend to Jesus or adding him to your life. Uh, rather, it's a dominating reality. Uh, you leave all things to, to follow him. Um, you're, you're called to consider the cost. And, and when you meet your first time of testing, you are reminded of the call to follow Jesus. Yeah. And that first Peter passage is actually important. 3.16, he says, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And the idea is that people are looking at you and you're facing the same garbage they are, but there's a different reaction, a different sense of hope or purpose. And and it should be such that people are going to ask you and you need to be ready to give the answer. And yeah. that's where evangelism comes in. Yeah. Um, so, so in other words, you know, the goal of, of a church isn't to have the people try and bring people to the church so the pastor can get them saved uh, because we're putting on the event or something. Right. Rather, the pulpit equips the people so that they can go out, and now what flows out of them is... A changed life that brings the gospel. Yeah. Um, so six one. Uh, uh, biblical understanding of membership. Uh, church membership is a privilege. A responsibility needs to be regarded as such. People should only be members if they're dedicated to the church. Such a 
simple but key point, in attendance, prayer, service, and giving, to allow people to become and remain members for sentimental or other unbiblical reasons, make light of membership, and may be even dangerous. So, simply put, you don't gain join to gain benefits. You join so as to identify yourself with that specific group of people who hold to a specific set of beliefs, which, again, everything we said prior to this falls into this uh, idea. It means you make life choices related to how it affects the church, not just you and your home. You're not doing everything for what's good for my home, just I'm thinking, how is this affecting the church? It means you place yourself willingly in submission to a set of leaders and doctrine. It means you put on the apron of a servant. That's his uh, terminology that Peter uses in chapter 5, that you take on this apron of a servant and you seek to serve, not to get your own needs met. It means you're present faithfully, consistently, exceptions are truly exceptions. Uh, Once the exception becomes a rule, it's not an exception. Um, it means you're giving to that church and seeking to serve wherever it's needed. Um, Want to frustrate your pastors? Tell them, well, I just don't feel that's my gift. He doesn't care. It, it, it's, it's an area that needs, and trust me, the Spirit will strengthen you and empower you to serve if your heart is willing to serve where it's needed. Yeah, and, and all the things you just mentioned, if it's a good and healthy church, the church is going to hold you to that. Yeah. And that's that's the point to understand is, yeah, that, that's the mark of a healthy congregation. But now the leadership will and the people within the church will spur you on in that. They won't just say on paper, here's what you should be, but then you can really just come and go and do what you want. Right. Um, seventh is biblical church discipline. Um, Chally says, discipline guides church membership. Uh, the church has the responsibility to judge the life and teaching of the membership since they can negatively impact the church's witness of the gospel. Leadership needs to be firm in discipline as this is an expression of love to the congregation. And I would also add that it's a means of restoration of the sinning yeah, member as well. Yeah. So um, I'm not going to say anything on this because we did a whole episode on that. So uh, if anyone's really interested, they can go listen to that. Um, but a church that's not disciplining its members quite simply is a disobedient church. And we would say you should not be there. Um, it, it is again, how it maintains purity within itself, but also seeks the well-being of its sinful members. Right, right. Then there's the promotion uh, of church di- di- diapers. <laughs> um, I'm tired. Uh, church discipleship and growth. Um, we need to recover true discipleship, discipleship that causes Christians to live lives of increasing holiness, uh, the emphasis on growth needs to be directed at holiness rather than membership. Um, another key point: um, true discipleship producing strong, committed chick- uh, chickens. <laughs> oh, it's a long day. Uh, strong, committed Christians will present a clear witness to the world. Um, you should walk away from a year of attending a church, in other words, with a clear sense of how of what is now different in your life in your home. Uh, it should be intrinsically biblical in its definition. That's that's such a simple way of, at the end of every year, ask yourself what's different than it was at the beginning of that year. Uh, if you come and sit and leave, then you're not part of the church. You're just vaguely attending. If you're made to uh, feel comfortable in doing so, then the church is really not interested in you. If they, they just want you to come and be, feel comfortable, they're not interested in actually m- moving you to growth. 
because relationships in the church are intrinsically messy. A member has to learn to embrace that. If you're a younger believer, then coming to a sound church can be a bit overwhelming. And this is so true, as so much of your life is out of kilter. And we see it a lot, right? Yeah, we do. Um, Many come into our church, they think they're really mature. But that's because they've been in a terrible church. Right. Um, but once they entered, they discovered they're not what they thought they were. And it causes them to either press in, which is good, or quickly leave. Um, if they can get over that, that initial hump of realizing that they need to grow, uh, we see so many uh, then flourish. But that takes humility. Um, it can sound a l- very arrogant, but when people stick around our church, they, they begin to realize we're doing nothing more than calling them to biblical faithfulness. That's it. And, but it can be very overwhelming because they have never, they, they may have been raised in a church and they have never been challenged once yeah. to walk in a manner worthy of again, their calling. Again, if you're preaching the rebukes, if you're preaching yep. the commands, the corrections, um, a person may feel that for the first time in their life and... Yeah. Have you experienced it where you get up and you know it's a hard sermon? You get up and it's like, oh, the Lord brought nine visitors today. Great. (laughs) (laughs) We're nicer than this, really. You know, but it's like, well, this is a text and we're going to go for it. But you, you, you need to realize you're not the savior of the church. So don't enter one thinking you're the key to its health. Come instead with the spirit to learn and grow. Now, if you're older and mature in the Lord, then you should make it your habit to gather younger people in the faith to help them grow. This is done in kindness and grace, but it has to be done. Few things are more uh, frustrating as a pastor than to pour energy and time into a person for years, and then the moment retirement comes, they're gone. They're gone because, hey, they got things they need to do, like fish. Um, True discipleship should be at the heart of a mature church. Um, it's what ought to characterize its members and what ought to drip from the mouth of the leadership. So it's not just some special formula. It happens in many ways, but it should be nevertheless very clear in the churches yeah, yeah. that we're producing disciples of Christ. Right. Uh, and then the ninth one would be a biblical understanding of leadership. Um, do you want to read that? Yeah. Until recent times, almost all Protestants agreed that in church government, there should be a plurality of elders, which means there should be an office of an elder and not merely one or more pastors in position of leadership. This is a biblical and practical model that has fallen out of favor in modern times. Yeah. So that's, that's Challie's comment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we are commanded to follow leaders. We're commanded to submit to them, remember to honor them, all this Hebrews 13. Um, and so we would just, you know, say, figure out how you're, you're doing these things. Um, you know, and and are your leaders ones worthy of following yeah. and, and modeling? Yeah. Um, you know, we would say, you know, what's wrong with most mega churches these days is you never actually get to know your leaders. Um, they're just kind of a figure from the stage or and, a video screen. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but even worse, I would say the leaders never get to know you. Uh, you know, if your pastors or elders don't actually know your name, that's a problem. Uh, a serious problem, you know, functionally, how are they caring for your soul? Um, You know, learn what is the flow of authority within a prospective church. Look for men who are modeling godliness and a commitment to the word. Um, Look at their households uh, and it will answer many questions. You know, again, in mega churches, are you even able to see their households? Yeah. Uh, Do they invite you in? Are you able to watch? Um, 
if your leaders speak to you about something in your life, then we would say, take it seriously. Um, it, it's likely they were serious ab about it, even if you are not. And we can't, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on that, but it'd be mostly us ranting. Sure. Uh, how often we're, we speak into a person's life, they nod, smile, and discard. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, ask yourself, can I follow these men because they are like Paul who was able to say, and this one always blows my mind, <laughs> but imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. Um, but again, are you able to see your leaders at that level to where you could actually want to follow that? You know, a church will never be more healthy than its leaders. And, you know, of course, the plethora of fallen and disgraced pastors today should be a warning to all of us. Yeah, and these are pastors who were pastors of mega churches. These were the guys selling the books and telling them, everyone was saying that's the way to do it. But look at them. Right. Where are they at? Yeah, and again, the, on this, the, the biblical model, though, so again, if you're looking for a healthy church, the biblical model of church government is a plurality of qualified male elders. Uh, at bare minimum, they must meet the qualifications of an elder or pastor in, outlined in 1 Timothy and 3 and Titus 1. Uh, they should also understand and own their job description as it's outlined in 1 Peter 5. Uh, we don't have the time to work through those passages, but they are the biblical mandates. Um, in fact, we should, we'll do an episode at some point on church government. Um, we know, but suffice it to say, congregational rule is not biblical. That's not a healthy um, model of church government. Um, we'd also say elder-led is not the best way, rather elder-rule. Um, elder-led being where it's just suggestions, but ultimately the congregation Yeah, votes. it's still congregational rule, but they're making all the minor decisions, but the big ones are still brought back to the yeah. congregation. And yeah. we would argue that elder rule where it's the elders... Leading everything. Yes. Making, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, church traditions and denominations have have screwed that up. Um, and, and we live in a culture um, that despises any notion of authority or submission... Um, to leadership in any way. And the church has very much succumbed to that. Um, but a biblically defined model of church government is one um, one of the major marks of a healthy church um, for, you know, from the state of the leadership will flow and determine the health of every other aspect of the church and all the things that we mentioned here. So there you have it. Um, it's important to understand that if a church has these nine marks, they may be stronger or weaker on some of them because um, there's just no such thing as a perfect church. But there are better or healthier church. But they are uh, better or healthier churches. The health of a church has has a very direct impact on the health of a Christian. And if you don't believe that, you don't understand um, sound theology. It's vitally important and something every true Christian needs to take seriously. So we would just beg people, don't settle, don't compromise, don't uh, make security or tradition or comfort the factor. Always make certain of your choice of a church is that's being radically determined by a biblical non-negotiable. Yeah. So hopefully that helped and I'll turn it over to you. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> so well, this is your, you well, sure. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's it. So uh, until next time, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know what you think, and don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. Mm -hmm.